Good morning, everybody. Still wet season in Guadalajara. Maybe you can hear the rain in the background. I don't have an interview for you today, but I decided to record this special episode. Some thoughts that are going through my head. Some Maybe I'll publish this also later as an article talking about auto-exigence, our desire to be self demanding to put pressure on ourselves or be hard on ourselves or even be perfectionists at an extreme degree and how can we look at this from another perspective firstly how can we become aware admit to ourselves that we are being auto exigent and how can we begin to take on other beliefs make our beliefs and assumptions about the situation conscious start to test those beliefs and then look at some different ways that we can look at the situation that don't involve putting pressure on ourselves, how we can be conscious of success without punishing ourselves to enjoy what things are like in the moment. Now, if <laughs> if you find this episode helpful, and I think you will, for a lot of auto-exigent people out there, um, maybe you like to share it with your friends or you, you might have to be tactful about how you do it. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure a lot of your friends would enjoy to hear this too and they might gain some insight on themselves, see themselves in a different light, and learn how they can be happier. You can jump onto beautifulpodcast.com and I am offering coaching sessions on there using cognitive behavioral techniques. And similar to what I do in this episode, we can take a belief, look at it, or make it conscious, and try to test it a little bit, see if it holds up to scrutiny. A lot of the time, these troublesome beliefs won't hold up to scrutiny. And then we can begin to transform it, change it into something more beautiful, more practical, and realistic. So, if that appeals to you, jump on over to beautifulpodcast.com and you can use the coupon code BEAUTIFUL2021 to get 50% off your first coaching session with me. And, yeah, let's begin. Welcome, beautiful thinkers. This is how your life is already wonderful. So I wanted to talk again, touching the subject again of auto-exigence, being self-demanding, how people are hard on themselves, harsh on themselves. They like to put standards on themselves, which is sometimes impossible to reach. And sometimes things have already happened, things are in the past, and you're still trying to apply standards to them. Naturally, what happens, as you might imagine, you get frustrated. It's very difficult to feel happy when you're putting so many standards on yourself and not just putting standards. It's one thing to have standards and it's a good thing to have standards and even helps us be happy when we have standards. But when we punish ourselves emotionally or in other forms for 
not reaching those standards. So <laughs> I do find that this is one of the greatest barriers to happiness. And in fact, it's, it's so common <laughs> that it's, it seems to permeate almost all of Western society and perhaps other societies. So <laughs> that does make me wonder about the, the cultural factors of it. And some people call it the Protestant Protestant work ethic or the Puritan work ethic. But I think these are kind of general terms. Or Sometimes I say, well, call it the Protestant work ethic, but, you know, Catholics and atheists aren't exempt. <laughs> um, in some cases, neither are Buddhists. So <laughs> um, there are some cultural factors there. It does have something to do with capitalism i think so perhaps in a hunter-gatherer society people aren't so auto-exigent they're just there they, you know enjoy the life even in an agricultural society people talk about the irish and the potato farming days that would just be like all right we plant the crops you know we work for a month planting the crops let's go off and party and, <laughs> and have a good time and and drink some beer, and then we we'll come back in six months or whatever it is, and and pick up the crops. <laughs> and that's uh, you know obviously there are pros and cons of that attitude to life, but the auto exigence wasn't obvious there. And I think there's still some aspects of the culture that's that still come through in Ireland and, and other parts of the world. This also. The fact that we all go to these public schools and we get judged on our grades. It's like, are you going to get good grades? And they're always trying to put pressure on us in one form or another. Like, oh, it's a permanent record. Or, you know, how are you going to get into university? How are you going to have a, a good career? When are, I mean, these things are all kind of empty threats in the long term. It's not really much to do with how, how life really works. There's like two hours, no, two, sorry, two years after you graduate from high school. I don't think anybody is going to ask you for your high school certificate or, you know, your university enter score. They don't care. So <laughs> it's all this, this, this big illusion, but the message of it, the medium is the message and, and the message stays with us that we have to achieve. We must do in order to be happy. It's not sufficient enough to, to just be. I like to have a bit of both. <laughs> I like to be and I like to do and uh, be while I'm doing, enjoying things while I'm doing and that, that makes life so, so much more fulfilling. So I tell a little story. I've touched on this before in the previous episode where I talked about auto-exigence. This episode number, what is it? 79. And I talked about this. I'll put the link in the, in the show notes on the site so you can go back to that episode. But yeah, what, what happened was when I became aware of this auto-exigent tendency, I was in... Pirque, just outside of Santiago de Chile, just like the end of the metro line. And they picked us up. 
We went out to this retreat to stay for a couple of nights and partake in plant medicine ayahuasca. And they had a wonderful group there. This organization called Inner Mastery. I believe the organization started in Spain. They operate in about 20 countries and they're great. (laughs) So whatever country you're in, whatever country they operate in, they're trying to find medicines, plant medicines and, and, uh, well, bufo. These medicines that are legal in that country so people can partake and enjoy the benefits and experience the kind of inner wisdom that comes as a result of having these novel experiences and integrating the lessons. So, yeah, we're out there and and, uh, I, I do recommend their services, by the way. So this is really good, the fact that they had this psychological integration in the mornings because I would have had a very different experience if I hadn't started to ask certain questions. So what happened on the first night? I take the medicine and it comes on and I start to have these visions and I'm seeing these things like, it's almost like I'm a rocket being launched into the sky and exploding fireworks. And the message or my, my interpretation of this is like, hey, I can be great. You know, the sky is the limit. The sky isn't even the limit. We can move out and, and, and produce some, something wonderful, some gift to the world. And I think I'm now <laughs> coming good on this with this podcast. But my interpretation of that was, oh, yeah, I, you know, I've worked 12-hour days in the past. I can do it again. I can push myself hard. I can work really hard and I will be successful as a result. I will have some grand success, you know, money, wealth, and and offering something good to the world, all all these wonderful things, significance and and meaning and helping people. You know, I I can do all these things. And... Uh, that would have been my interpretation of it if it hadn't been for that integration session in the morning. So there was this lovely, lovely woman, Sophia, who's one of the guides there. And she started asking me a bunch of questions and and some of them were about my relationships. I don't think they they were entirely relevant or I didn't get a lot of insight about that then at least not at the time and I, I told her about this this vision about the, the rocket and my interpretation about working really hard and she asked hmm do you consider yourself an, an auto accident person this is why the, the, the term comes from like it's not really or I'm trying to make it a word in English, but it comes from Spanish. Uh, and I noticed it had these these cognates in English. Auto, of course, means self, and accident means demanding. So auto accident makes sense in English as well as auto exigente in Spanish. So I started to wonder. I'm like, hmm, no, I, I don't 
think I'm a self-demanding person. I don't, I, I don't think so. I don't, and I, I wondered about it for the rest of the day. And I guess <laughs> I started worrying about it. And there was some resistance in me to it. And I thought, <laughs> that important thought, if I'm resisting this, there must be something about it. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't bother me so much. It wouldn't get hooked on me or I wouldn't allow it to get hooked on me if there weren't some truth to it. There has to be some some truth. So like people say, if the shoe fits, wear it, which can be a kind of glib <laughs> thing to say depending on the context. But if there's, yeah, if, if uh you get a little bothered by something, yes, there's probably some insecurity there. There's probably some real concern. So <laughs> before this, this ceremony the next night, I was worrying about it and like in the half hour or the hour before and then I'm asking my friend Maria Paz, like, do you think I'm auto-exigent? Like, you know, and there's some connotation, some... some <laughs> kind of what's the word uh, it's not exactly projection but I'm like blaming Sophia for bringing this up like how could she how dared she say that or something like this uh, and Maria Paz is like oh yeah you know I think I think you are auto-exigent and that's you know that's, you you do that because you're trying to achieve so much you you want to create things and you know with your podcasts and and everything like this so you know it's, it kind of works for you and uh, she said it <laughs> tenderly enough that i didn't get extremely resistant to that but i'm still you know kind of burning on the inside and i thought uh-oh it's getting <laughs> like since 15 minutes until the ceremony starts if I am still resistant like this, when the ceremony starts, I'm going to have a lot of problems. This is going to be a challenging trip, <laughs> like experiencing my own resistance, but having it amplified through virtue of this plant medicine. So I thought, okay, I better start breathing. I do some deep breathing, relax a little bit. And Sebas, the other guide, Sebastian, he said, hey, do, do you want some rapé? Rapé is this organic tobacco formed, uh, like, I guess burnt a little bit, form it into snuff, and they put a pipe up your nose and pff, blow it into your nose. And <laughs> you might experience some kind of numbing sensation. It's quite, quite powerful and helping you clear the mind. So Sevas offered me the rapé, and I said yes. And it's like, you want the strong one, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, give me, you know, give me a big dose. <laughs> so put the pipe up my nose, <laughs> blow up each nostril, and I started to calm down a bit. And yes, the first thing... <laughs> When the medicine came on, the ayahuasca came on, and the first thing Grandma Ayahuasca says to me is, yes, Kurt, you are an auto-exigent person. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, 
you know, I can't escape my nature, or I can't, I can't escape my personality. So, I guess I've got to see this. So, <laughs> after that, I did start to remember something very important. I mentioned this story before. When I was in Portugal, I was in Carva. Uh, was I, I looked on Airbnb for the cheapest entire place in Western Europe. And the one that came up was this village in Portugal. It's literally like 100 people who live in this village, maybe less. And there's like one store. And it's also the cafe. But for some reason, this fellow just gives espressos away for free <laughs> people walk into the cafe and just start making their own espresso on the espresso machine uh, <laughs> and yeah uh, had a good time there people were really sweet and I, I went there just to meditate for a month and by the end I was meditating five or six hours a day and I would just go and sit by the stream like at 1 p.m the sun started to come out sit on this little bridge wide enough for one person and just listen to the water trickling the bubbling brook and try to be aware of the trickling the bubbling in front of me as well as behind me and look at the shape of the water. See the shape of the rocks underneath the water and the shape of the water at the same time and how it was being distorted. Try to maintain all of these things in my awareness at once. So I have many beautiful experiences in Kava. One day... I finished the morning meditation, about four or five hours of meditation. It was about midday. And I stepped out onto the balcony. Again, the sun came out. And the sun is just like kissing me with its rays. It's so beautiful. These sensations. I look inside. And there's this joy in my belly and there's a kind of this bubbling jubilation coming up from my belly in my solar plexus is like this satisfaction this calm satisfaction like almost like contentment like hey you know nothing nothing needs to be done <laughs> everything is good it's all good and then a little bit higher than that just above the solar plexus, there is this dissatisfaction. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And I ask it, <laughs> or I become aware of it. And it's like, why aren't I happy? <laughs> why aren't I even happier? How can I not be, you know, how can I be even happier than I am? This isn't enough. <laughs> I start laughing to myself. I'm like, this is extremely ironic. Becoming aware of all of these uh, lovely, beautiful gifts, these levels of happiness that I have within me. But 
the one thing that's stopping me from being even happier is the question asking myself why can't I be even happier <laughs> so this is the, the potent auto accidents coming out within me so yes uh, in that uh, ayahuasca experience I, I remembered that experience back in Kava and I started to notice it yes I've been auto accident for many years and this is an important point because the thing that was stopping me from noticing my auto accidents in part was my own auto accidents so I was asking myself questions like well if I'm so auto accident why aren't I more successful which is as I mentioned on the previous episode it's like that is such an auto accident thought it's like okay I am actually a bit successful you know I do, I do have some talent in, in, in a lot of areas and have, have some money and you know pe- people respect me and like me and you know the success in all these areas but of course it's not enough it's never enough the classic auto accident thought <laughs> so the important aspect of this was I had to admit it to myself it's just like with any form of addiction and this is a kind of addiction it's an addiction to a thought pattern once we admit it once we face embrace the truth of the question that is when we can begin to change probably not before that (laughs) when we become aware of something when we fully admit it to ourselves we are exercising a high degree of consciousness expanding our self-awareness so it is wonderful to do that i do notice that a lot of people don't have such a problem admitting the auto accidents as as i do but it is a key factor uh, because i guess on, on some level we can admit it a little bit to ourselves but not fully embrace it when we when we uh, fully admit it that is much more likely that we'll begin to change now there is an important thing about this looking from cognitive behavioral therapy perspective so we can begin to identify a belief a lot of the time we'll find that there are these beliefs that involve the words should or must at least when we phrase them in a certain way so we even call this shoulding or musting and when we put these standards when we say I should be better than this I should be more successful or you know at first we might ask why aren't we more successful if we phrase it as a should or must statement then it tends to be more clear what the belief actually is I must be more successful I must be more than what I am I must be better I must be a perfect dentist I must <laughs> have all of my clients all of my patients completely healthy and these kinds of beliefs we could begin to identify these beliefs normally it's it's a little bit difficult and <laughs> If you do have some of these beliefs, you might even be asking yourself, 
Why can't I identify the belief? <laughs> All right. So that, that's another standard that you're putting on yourself, another auto-exigent belief. So <laughs> I should be able to identify the belief. And that's okay. So when, when we are frustrated, we can begin to notice that we have these standards of ourselves, and then we can begin to phrase it using the words should or must. Then we can begin to use reality testing. So this is a technique that goes all the way back to Freud, the beginnings of psychoanalysis or psychotherapy, and it's still used today, and it's still highly effective, probably more effective than ever because we get greater lines of questioning. So these are some questions from Albert Ellis, some reality testing questions. If I believe this thought to be true, will it help me remain sober, safe, and alive? Well, sober, not necessarily relevant in this situation. So if I believe something like, I must be happier, will it help me remain sober, safe, and alive? Probably not. If I do have tendencies towards substance abuse, it will probably put me further along that that path won't help me to remain sober. It will actually have the, the opposite effect because I'll be experiencing this frustration. Being hard on myself might lead to some kind of depression and might lead me to think, well, I can numb myself with some alcohol or whatever it is. So I could say, no, This, if I believe this belief to be true, if I believe this thought to be true, no, it will not help me remain sober, safe, and alive. Is this thought objectively true? And upon what evidence can I form this opinion? I must be happier. Can that ever be objectively true? It's actually subjective by its nature. Saying I must or I should, I ought, these are all opinions. They must be opinions in the way they're phrased. So it's not objectively true. And... There's not really much evidence that I can offer other than my own opinion. I can't think of if there's actually some evidence to back up the idea that something ought to happen. Maybe if somebody else says it to you, that's just, you know, it's hearsay. Is this thought producing feelings that I want to have? So if I think I, I should be happy then I am, no, that's it's actually producing the opposite feeling <laughs> is producing this dissatisfaction. So no, it's clearly not producing the feelings that, that I want to have. Is this thought helping me reach a chosen goal? No, it is not because my goal back in Kava was to be happy. So it's actually contrary to my goals. Once again, is this thought likely to minimize conflict with others? No, it is not. Because if I'm frustrated or if I'm dissatisfied, I'm less likely to have deep com communication, connection with others. So it's not likely to minimize conflict. All right. Now we have some other reality testing questions. And these ones come from, I don't, I don't know where the ultimate source is, but they come from Kane Ramsey's course on cognitive behavioral therapy which you can find on Udemy or on Ecology. 
Is there substantial evidence for my thought? Again, no. There's not really any way that there could be substantial evidence for this idea of what I should be. Is there evidence contrary to my thought? Absolutely, yes. Yes, there is evidence contrary. Because when I say something like should, when I say I should be happier, I'm actually trying to put a a kind of obligation on reality. The reality is I I am just as happy as I am. So saying should (laughs) is contrary to reality. So there there is that evidence contrary to, to the thought. Am I trying to interpret this situation without all the evidence? What might what evidence might I be missing? Well, I don't know if this this one applies to to my situation, but it's still a, a very important question because a lot of the time we do have unknown unknowns or <laughs> or known unknowns. There are things that we don't know about the situation which if we did know them they would probably put the situation in a different context. So this is a good question to ask. What would a friend think about this situation? Well, if I said to a friend, I must be happier, they would probably just say, well, relax, you know, have a good time. <laughs> stop, stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Stop being auto-exited. If I look at the situation positively, how is it different? Well, of course, I've already experienced these sensations of happiness. So it is it is different. And if I focus on those things, I start to let go of this frustration of putting pressure on myself. Will this matter a year from now? How about five years from now? No, it probably will not because I'll, I'll keep deepening my happiness in the long term exploring it for, for myself and, and keep reaching further to my goals. So it doesn't really matter if any, you know, any one particular moment I feel dissatisfaction or I'm demanding <laughs> of myself and I'm th- having these thoughts that, that I need to be more than what I am. No, it, it probably won't matter in, in even within a couple of months. What are the benefits and costs these are, I love these questions. Uh, I love to ask these questions of myself and of others. A lot of the time, if I ask, what's the benefit of this belief? It's a question that people find very difficult to answer. And sometimes they say, well, I don't think there is a benefit. But then there almost always is. There is a reason that we think the way we think. That related question from Alice, is this thought helping me reach a chosen goal? So sometimes, like if we're trying to improve at a skill, and I think I must be better at this, I must be better at this, we put the pressure on ourselves, and there is this this benefit, or at least the appearance of a benefit. We put this pressure on ourselves, and we do put in the work, and we get better at that skill. There's also benefits sometimes that are a bit more subtle. So something like homeostasis, the momentum or the tendency of process or system to remain the same. So if I have a certain idea of myself, I can 
maintain that belief and I maintain consistency. So it helps give me some idea of certainty. But certainty isn't always an overall positive thing. Certainty sometimes is something that holds us back. So yes, it's, this desire for homeostasis is a benefit. It doesn't necessarily outweigh the costs. Sometimes what we find is the benefits and the costs are very closely related. So if there is a belief that, that makes us angry, then we might experience righteous indignance when we say to ourselves, you know, I'm angry and I'm justified in this anger. But at the same time, the anger is the cost because the anger has disturbed our peace. So this is probably not, not entirely applicable in this case, but it's interesting to note. This is also sometimes when we're auto-exigent, it is a way to escape accountability. Because I can say, if I put my pressure, if I put pressure on myself, then others will not. Or if I blame myself, then others will probably, instead of saying, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that, they, they might say, ah, oh, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. It's not such a big deal. So I can gain sympathy by doing this. And yes, I avoid the rebukes of other people. But in the long term, this doesn't really help me grow. Now, Yes, there, with a lot of auto-exigence, there is this perceived benefit that it helps us progress. And some, sometimes I, I think that's true, but I don't think this is the only way to look at it. So it's like, okay, a lazy person has more fun, an auto-exigent person gets more done. But what if you could be happy and productive at once? That's a difficult question. <laughs> but when we can integrate two things which we perceive as opposites, that is a path to wisdom. When we can find a way that includes things that, that we thought could not come together, then we discover a higher level. We see a higher degree of integration and that means an enhanced perspective, greater wisdom, greater insight. And we can see further when seeing from the shoulders of giants. I like to give this example of two pool players. So let's say there's Fast Eddie. Fast Eddie, young and impulsive, and he, he wants to play and he wants to win. Oh, it's really wants to win <laughs> so he comes in and he's practicing these shots he lines up the shot maybe the free shot <laughs> some of you might know it and he shoots and misses and he starts to get a little frustrated he's like I really want to get that shot he shoots again and he misses he gets a little frustrated after about six or seven times, he stops trying to make that shot. So he's auto-exigent and he will improve quite rapidly. 
because he was going to come back to the pool table. He's going to try those shots again and again, even though sometimes he does get frustrated. So that's that's kind of good, right? <laughs> I mean, he, he is going to improve. I don't, I don't doubt that. Then we have Minnesota Fats. So Minnesota Fats is a bit older. He's a bit more balanced. He has a bit more character, perhaps. And Minnesota Fats comes in, racks up the free shot. He takes a shot. Maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. He considers it. He replays his own actions in his mind. Dispassionately. Well, we might say dispassionately, without anger, without judgment or frustration. Actually, he is intensely passionate about the game. Perhaps more passionate than Fast Eddie. And he lines up that shot 100 times, 1,000 times. Maybe he gets it in once out of 1,000 times. Maybe he gets it in 100 times, 500 times. It doesn't really matter. Minnesota Fats just acknowledges the result, reflects, and then takes action once again. And you can read the description of how Fats acts and how Fats thinks in uh, Walter Tevis's book, The Hustler, and see his portrayal by Jackie Gleason in the movie Fast Eddie, played by Paul Newman. Classic movie. Really good movie. Um, <laughs> but yes, you, you read about that description in the book, and you can see Fats has almost this zen quality to him that he will just take a shot and be completely unfazed by the result and it doesn't really matter if he wins or loses any one game he loves the game that's the thing who do you think is going to improve faster in this example not not the characters from the movie that's a different thing (laughs) but in my little example fast any and Minnesota Fats, the young, impulsive, auto-exigent, or the patient, calm, passionate. I would say it would be Fats every time. Fats is always going to improve faster. He loves the game. He wants to improve. He does want to improve. (laughs) But he doesn't punish himself for missing a shot. He just takes... The right actions. Right thinking and right actions. So that's the that's the, the grand question. <laughs> How can we be both happy and productive? How can we be productive without being auto-exigent? Allowing ourselves a space for joy. I'm sure you will come up with your own answers. Thank you for listening. A beautiful thought. All right, all right. Now, I am a bit behind on my interview game, so I am looking for people to interview. If you have an interesting story to tell about a life challenge, especially one that you've overcome, especially one that was transformative for you, 
and maybe you'd like to be open and and uh, explore the story and try to find out some deeper wisdom which wasn't immediately obvious to you trying to find that hero's elixir in the story so you can take that and enjoy it more in your life trying to trying to get the, those lessons to make them more conscious if you would like <laughs> to have an interview with me or come on, come on the show um, that would be fantastic just go on over to beautifulpodcast.com and look at the socials tab at the top you can join the telegram channel and we can start to have a conversation maybe you can share some details of your story in the next couple of weeks i'm going to interview my friend leandrew 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 dixon (laughs) i forgot his last name for a second ld uh, LD50, we'll call him sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to talk about. Maybe he's going to tell us a story about his journey from atheist to a more spiritual lifestyle, from a believer initially to an atheist, and then starting to, to believe that maybe there's something in the world that he doesn't quite understand. So <laughs> maybe we won't talk about that. I'm not sure yet. Maybe we'll tell the story of the Dorito riots. <laughs> um, we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, if, if you have a story to tell, reach out on the Telegram group or send me an email, could at beautifulpodcast.com and jump on to the website. Use the coupon code BEAUTIFUL2021 to get 50% off a coaching session with me. I just added on there the option to have a long 150-minute session so you can explore deeper what's on your mind and start to formulate an action plan based on the new beliefs that you've discovered or created during the session and move forward to a greater place of fulfillment, contentment, love, happiness, and joy in your life. So beautifulpodcast.com, beautiful2021, that's a coupon code, and have a wonderful day. Mm